Listen, when you go to Africa with somebody and you're on like safari and you're in a Jeep and you legitimately have a halfway decent chance of being mauled by lions, like legitimately, not hyperbole, um, <laughs> you get close and you become like family. So it, I'm, I'm just, I could not be happier for you guys, but that's a side note. I, I love you guys. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, guys, thank you for joining me here at Just Our Real Estate. I appreciate you tuning in. If you've never been here before, welcome. Hopefully, we will absolutely knock it out of the park for you, and you will love the show, and you will subscribe, and you will give me a rating and review, and you'll come back every week for more episodes and more good stuff. If you've been here before, if this is a like a, a, a show that you listen to all the time, thank you very much. I sincerely appreciate that. I know we have a lot of options in our lives and you choosing to be here is awesome and very, very cool. So thank you for that. Uh, today, I have a fantastic show for you. Just an interview with some of the, the smartest, uh, most impressive real estate investors I've had on the show. They're also good friends of mine. I've known them for a few years now, and they are incredible. And I think they're going to blow your mind with what they've been able to accomplish in a relatively short amount of time. It's inspirational, and these guys are just rocking it. So on the show today, guys, I have Luke and Jess Boyron. Uh, they are real estate a real estate investing comp, uh, couple, not company. Well, they're a company too, but a real estate investing couple from Toronto, Canada. Both Jess and Luke are lawyers who also hold an MBA. So they're, they're just like super smart, super smart couple. Uh, Luke has been investing in real estate since 2007 on a small scale. And in 2016, Jess and Luke founded Bliss Realty Incorporated to flip houses. Since then, they've completed over $50 million in real estate deals before turning the age of 30. And their business has grown to be the largest wholesalers in Canada, operating in Toronto, Ottawa, and Montreal with 16 employees currently. In addition, they are growing their rental portfolio with a mix of short-term rentals and small multifamily properties in Ontario. They're avid travelers and they are also expecting their first child. So they have a lot going on and they are just rocking it. I mean, they are just scaling their business, hiring smart people, and just doing everything right. And and I was it was a real pleasure to talk to them. And I know you're going to be inspired by these two. So without any further ado, I give you Luke and Jess. All right, Luke and Jess, guys, thanks for doing this. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you taking the opportunity to be on the show. It's awesome having you guys. First time. This is fun. Thanks for having us. Yeah, for sure. So I met you guys. I want to say, has it been more than, has it been three years? Or has it been two years since you joined at the time eight figure flipping? Yeah. Uh, was it 18 or was it it's 17? Been October no, it's been 2018. Yeah, 18. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Almost a couple of years now. And when you guys joined, it was right on the on the heels of uh, Flip Hacking Live that year. Um, you guys came in. You're from Canada, right? We talked about that a little bit in the intro. Um, so things are different there, and I've known you guys for a while, and there's certain things we take for granted up here, and we're going to get into all that. But first, first let's rewind uh, and talk about maybe pre-real uh, estate. What were you guys doing before you got into real estate, and then what made you want to take this leap? Because what you were doing before real estate was obviously much different than real estate investing and being an entrepreneur. So what did your life look like before real estate, and then what, what was the gateway for you guys? What, what got you involved? Yeah, so we actually met in law school. We both did our undergrads in business. Um, we met in a relatively exclusive joint program. Uh, I think there were 16 students in our year that were doing both a law degree and an MBA uh, combined at one of the best universities in Canada here. So uh, yeah, we met in that. Uh, we both graduated law school. We were eternal students pretty much before we started getting into real estate. <laughs> uh, we did um, like nine years of post-secondary education. So wow. a lot of schooling, yeah. um, which is interesting because in this industry, you don't really need a lot of schooling. So yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a fun <laughs> dynamic there. But yeah, we were in school for a long time. And so we kind of started off like our, you know, kind of adult working life a little later than most people. Like we yeah. were like well into our, our 20s at that point. When yeah. We graduated. I kind of felt like I needed to catch up in a way, um, but I had, I had come from like a real estate family. Okay. So my dad was a commercial real estate agent, had some commercial real estate investments. So, you know, 
growing up around the dinner table, I was learning about how mortgages worked and stuff like that. And when I was a kid, awesome. I wanted to grow up and be a commercial real estate agent like my dad. Um, First of all, I was going to say real quick, I, I know like you, you said this industry, real estate doesn't require a lot of education. So I didn't go to nine years, but I did four years and I kind of went back as an adult and did it with like kids and a full-time job. And I killed myself to get that four-year degree in four years working full-time with kids. And then you're right. And then I was like, here I am, real estate investor, don't really need any of that. So it's just hilarious. But yeah, that's good. You guys are, yeah, super educated guys, people obviously. Um, go ahead. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. You were- Yeah, no. So, I mean, I, in my undergrad, when I was- uh, when I was 18, I bought my first rental property, you know, a rooming house in one of the worst areas of Toronto. Um, kind of managed that, ran that, made a lot of mistakes, learned a lot of lessons. Luckily, real estate, you know, uh, with real estate time heals all wounds kind of thing and yeah. value went up and I sold it, made a little bit of money, bought another rental, but you know, a little bit here and there over uh, probably a eight year period, really. I bought it in my first year undergrad and until I was done school when we finished law school, I worked for a year as a lawyer. Um, we both got called to the bar at the end of that, my, my law options, I wasn't the right fit for most law firms. I was a little too entrepreneurial, wasn't super interested in that. Um, yeah. and I kind of went into law hoping to make good money so I could qualify for mortgages to buy real estate. So it wasn't a good motivation <laughs> to become a lawyer. Um, Jess on the other hand, was an excellent lawyer and she got a job as an associate at the biggest law firm in Canada. Um, and she worked there several years. Yeah, I was there um, probably close to seven years by the end of it. So um, Lou kind of started off on the entrepreneurial path a little sooner than I did. Um, I actually, I, I loved practicing. So yeah. uh, when I finished school, you know, I'd, I'd summered at the, at the same firm twice. I then completed my articles, which is kind of like residency for, okay. for lawyers. Okay. Um, and so I ended up, I practiced in the, uh, in, I practiced corporate and regulatory law, but all in the energy sector. Okay. So very, very different from real estate. Very different. Um, you know, my clients were local power utilities. Um, you know, we did a lot of procurements for uh, renewable energy across our province. So uh, super, super interesting space, learned a ton, and I, I absolutely loved it. Um, awesome. And kind of my transition, uh, you know, into the real estate space really was kind of a bit slower. Like we, um, we'll get into it a little bit, but we started off flipping. And eventually when I found out I was pregnant, that was kind of the big catalyst. And, you know, I've been thinking, you know, I really do want to get into this real estate um, stuff like a lot more because the business is really growing a lot. Yeah. Um, but it was hard to leave a really great career where I was making very good money. Yeah. Um, I was working with very intelligent, smart people, great mentors um, and doing work that I really liked, but perhaps, you know, I didn't see it as something that I would do forever. And I had another really great option with the real estate. So that was a, my, finding out I was pregnant and that was just last December. So very, very recent yeah. is when I fully made the transition out of law and, and into real estate. Wow. Yeah. And you guys we're, we're definitely getting into it. You've had to say explosive growth would be probably an understatement. You have some of the most aggressive growth I've seen. And from a guy who prides himself and, and has had explosive explosive growth in his past and and hopefully in my future. Uh, I know what that's like, but I want to go back just for a second. Um, two questions I have. Luke, as far as going into real estate, you said your goal in the beginning was to be a, a commercial real estate uh, person, a real realtor. Why did that never, like, why did you never gravitate toward the commercial side? It sounds like it never went that direction, but maybe I'm wrong. No, it was, I mean, that was more as a kid. Okay. You know, like okay. if you asked me when I was 10, what did I want to uh, do? I wanted to be a okay. commercial real estate agent. I got you. So um, it's like asking and, most people why they didn't become an astronaut because that was what they wanted to do when they were 10. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but gotcha. that was always just, it was just always a passion. And yeah. really, I remember having a conversation with uh, a former boss of mine who, who I respected um, at a tennis club I worked at actually. Uh, he owned several, several clubs and he told me, you know, Luke, very few people respect real estate agents. You're smart. You're a smart kid. You should become a lawyer. People respect lawyers. And it's not that I went into that because of yeah. what he said, but you know, it influenced me probably. That sure. was part of it. Sure. Um, also just so happens my parents have six kids. Uh, my little sister's a lawyer still at uh, one of the top Toronto firms. And uh, my oldest brother is uh, a partner at a national U S firm. So so it's in the my, blood. Not my bit. oldest brother, my middle brother. My oldest brother is a real estate agent in Toronto. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> and nobody respects him, right? Like, oh, he's a realtor. Um, it takes a little. It's a little quicker to become a realtor too. For all the record, it doesn't take as long as it took you guys. Um, so the other question I had was, 
So Luke, I know that you had uh, real estate in your family and in your blood. Jess, was it a difficult conversation when when Luke's like, I don't want to be a lawyer. I'm going to do this thing. Did you guys have to like, was it a, was that a difficult thing to, to, to do? I, I, and I know in, in my world, like it wasn't, I wouldn't say difficult, but it wasn't easy. You know, there was a little bit of a conversation that had to happen. How did it go with you guys when you, Luke, when you broke it to her? Um, well, it's actually a very interesting backstory um, because uh, Luke wasn't actually going to even be called as a lawyer. He was going to be called as a lawyer, but never actually end up practicing law. So the plan was we finished law school. Um, you know, at that time, you know, we were still dating. We weren't, you know, engaged or married. Um, and the plan was I was going to continue on the legal route, kind of as always planned. Yeah. And Luke was actually going to start a flipping business. And the idea was he would start in California. So we had like, um, you know, a Delaware plated car ready to like drive down. Um, Like the business was, you know, all the uh, LLCs were set up, but the whole business was kind of set up on the back end. We had a website, everything was kind of going. I didn't know any of this. Yeah. Um, And so that was back in 2015. Yeah. Um, No kidding. And so I got a little bachelor apartment, like right downtown Toronto. So I'd be close to work. Luke was going to move to California and we were kind of going to, I was going to, you know, finish my articling period, which is, you know, just under a year and then see if the business took off at that point and then kind of reevaluate and, and see how we wanted to kind of come back together because I wow. knew it was going to be a very strenuous, like very, very busy 10 months for me yeah. and for him as well. Um, and so long story short, I decided to we have a long weekend in August and he was going to move to California right after the long weekend, drive okay. down there. Like same week. Yeah. 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 Same week. And okay. I planned sort of a romantic date. You have an island um, uh, just off of Lake Ontario, like just south of Toronto. Okay. You can kind of get there by ferry. And so we took the ferry over. I planned a romantic date. We went rollerblading. And okay. Luke had um, a bit of a rollerblading accident <clears throat> where he fell and actually broke his cheekbone in four places. Whoa, you landed on your face? Oh my God. Uh, yeah, I, I went over a crack, kind of jumped and twisted around somehow. I was wearing a backpack, twisted around somehow, ended up hitting head first. And oh. my cheekbone on this side collapsed inwards. Holy so smoke. I had to have surgery that same week. Um, what? Yeah, the, <laughs> basically they cut up here and pry the bone so it pops back in place. And um, Oh my <laughs> gosh. That so sounds that was, horrific. Uh, that sounds yeah. horrible. So guys, wear a helmet whenever you're rollerblading. Luke yeah. learned his lesson that way. It's not, as, it's not as sexy to wear a helmet though, guys. I mean, come on. Oh yeah, my it's gosh. not sexy to have a broken face. <laughs> Good point. Excellent point. Excellent point. Broken face is not very attractive either. Yeah. So yeah, so I was supposed to move down to California because I thought you couldn't flip houses in Canada. I'm like, oh, it's, you know, everyone sells through a realtor. You can't do this. Um, I'm going to move to California and do it. Uh, in, in Canada, we have to, as Jess was saying, kind of a residency or an internship to become a lawyer. Yeah. Whereas in, in the U.S., you don't. You just pass the bar. So I actually wrote and passed the New York bar before I was going. I never got called to the bar because I, in the end, got called in Ontario. Okay. Um, but I didn't. I wasn't planning on doing that internship. I was going to move to California. Well, didn't move. I had, you know, they're like, you can't drive long distances for two months. I was supposed to drive to California that week. Okay. Um, ended up, you know, lying in bed, applying for a few last minute internship jobs. Got one. Figured with Jess here, I would stick around and, you know, we'd stay together and I would get called to the bar in Ontario and then see if I could try to make it work. So basically did that year of uh, internship, got called to the bar here, and then I left law and I started flipping houses. Um, And so Jess would be working at her firm, you know, on the, during the day. And then at night she'd be like helping me choose tiles and we'd be, (laughs) you know, planning things in the business. And uh, yeah, so we really, you know, that was end of 2016, I think December, 2016 is when we uh, incorporated our businesses and 2017, we bought, I think about 17 houses. Um, 2018, I think we bought about 20, 25, uh, 2019, we were, I think 90 something houses. Just under a hundred. Yeah. All right. I, so many questions like, okay, (laughs) I've known you guys for a while. We've had many discussions at many events we've been at. I never if you, if I've heard it, I don't remember hearing that you guys were, or just, or I'm um, sorry, Luke, you were planning on flipping or doing real estate in California. So number one, this is kind of a dumb question, but I'm why California? Why, why was California your destination? One of the hardest my places brother, to flip? My brother in um, Irvine, California. Oh, who, okay. So you had family who was at there. the time living in California, the lawyer. I gotcha. Oh, he okay. was planning on funding on Perfect. being my, my lender or my partner to, to flip houses. That makes sense. Okay. So California, that didn't happen. Um, you broke your face. That blow. That still freaks me out and blows my mind. The the thought of caving in a face like that on the ice. 
I can't imagine how much that must have hurt. That's ridiculous. Um, but then <clears throat> you started flipping. So what made you realize that you could flip in Canada where you were? Like you, you thought you couldn't and then you did like 17 houses later. That's that's a pretty good first year. I mean, it's a really good first year. What what was the thought process or the mind shift for you? How did that for you guys both? How did that work that you realized you could do it where you were? I think it was gradual. It was actually um, my, my brother, who's a realtor, helped me find some deals at the beginning. I mean, we're at the beginning, we're buying everything on the MLS yeah. now. Nothing's on the MLS. Yeah. Um, but we were still finding some deals on the MLS. You know, some of the, the first two flips I can think of that we did in, in the, as once we were incorporated, one was a house that was listed um, kind of over thanks, like, oh, I think it was Thanksgiving, a long weekend. And um, it was listed on it it was a realtor from another board. So not our local board. Okay. And so they had listed it on their board. It showed up on the public, you know, MLS.ca version. Um, but it, it hadn't yet been cross listed to the local board. Mm. So the realtors who get their notifications weren't seeing it yet. Oh. And everything was selling above asking at this time. Right. Mm. I saw this was a good price. Well, they were listed wrong and I tried to get the info. They were listed wrong. And I basically put in an offer on the Monday, which was still a holiday. It wouldn't show up on the board till Tuesday put an offer on Monday and kind of said, you know, this is a price, this is the price today and let's get this done. And we were able to get the price done, the deal done. The market was also going up a lot. Um, we flipped that house. I think we made about 85,000 selling that house. Wow. And then, um, we did another one at the same time, which bought in multiple offers. I think there were five other offers, but, um, it was a, I, I could see on the re registry, it was a four bedroom house, but they were selling it as a three bedroom because they'd taken down a wall. Well, comps in the area, the four bedrooms were worth more. So everyone else was bidding on it as a three bedroom. I saw this as I'm going to buy a three bedroom, put up a wall. Yeah. It's legally already a four bedroom. Yeah. And I'll sell it as a four bedroom after some renos. And we did that. I think we made you know, 65, 70,000 on that wow. one. And they were just down the street from one another. So it was actually really great like, economies of scale, I guess, because like we could just drive to, yeah. to kind of to both and check in on renovations and all that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of threw out there jokingly, why would you go to California? One of the hardest places to flip in, in the United States. But I, I will say Canada has unique challenges that we don't have to deal with here in the States, things that we take for granted that we can do. You guys can't do it. It's a lot in my in my estimation, it's on surface level, it's a lot harder to do it what, where you guys are doing it. Um, so if I could, how how much competition do you feel like, at least in the beginning, how much competition did you have, not necessarily of people bidding on houses, because there were probably homeowners maybe, but like people who were trying to flip. Were there other flippers that were doing the same thing or trying to do the same thing? There are lots of flippers on the MLS. Okay. It was really when we shifted to private buying, where early on, now there's been there's a little more competition, but where there wasn't much competition, because that is the hard part to find deals privately. Right. And and yeah, and to before, yeah, exactly. And so before everyone goes, oh, great, no competition, that must have been easy. Well, there's they also can't pull lists like we can pull and do some of the things that we makes it so easy and automated for us. Like, how do you, did you find deals privately in the beginning? And you don't have to give me any special sauce, but like generally sure. speaking, what does that process look like for you guys? So, I mean, as you said, we can't pull lists at all. We Privacy laws here restrict that information. It's pr protected. So there's no, you know, list source. You're not buying lists of leads with their phone numbers and addresses and yeah. absentee owners. None of that. You're not getting any of that. But we did find out, I mean, early on, I think our first few deals um, that were private were from, you know, Google ads, the okay. online stuff. Yes. Yeah. You don't need any privacy, right? You can target people sure. in the same same way, essentially. Sure. So I think it was, it was mostly Google ads for the first while that we were doing. Are and you, because we've expanded, we've had to grow to different, yeah. add in different marketing channels and things like that to scale. Are you guys doing direct mail now? Are you able to, did you figure out a way to do that? Uh, we're trying to actually, yeah. it's something we're working on right okay. now. Okay. Um, but the big thing is we've also done, um, we'll pick specific neighborhoods where there's a lot of rundown homes and we'll mm -hmm. do every door direct mail. Yeah. That's, you know, hitting every house in the neighborhood. You guys can do that too. You don't have to, because you can pick the specific yeah. houses that show motivation. Yeah. So you're hitting way more people because you're hitting everyone. You might be hitting a tenant in that house, mm -hmm. right? We don't hit apartments because of that, but you might be getting tenants in that house. But at the same time, when you do find the right person who's motivated, um, they probably don't have 30 other people's postcards. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which is great. I mean, that that's cool. But like the the barrier to get there is so high for you guys. With us, it isn't. So what what was the first market you invested in again? What 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 city were you in? 
Yeah, we're in the greater Toronto area. So okay. we've been going, you know, basically an hour and a half in every direction of Toronto. Okay. And w- what is like, just to give people some sort of an idea, because you mentioned a couple of profits that you had, but what is the the average house price or like maybe what's, what's the price that you guys buy for on average and what does it sell for on average? Yeah. So we uh, are... Average price in the city of Toronto itself for detached home is 1.4 million, but that's not our norm at all. Um, the first few houses we did, um, I think we were buying in the in the low fours and selling in the in the low sixes. Okay. Um, after you know 70, 80, thousand dollar renos and private yep. money and all that, um, I would say now our average deals we're buying most of our stuff again, not in the city of Toronto. We're outside of it mostly, so we're usually in the two to six hundred thousand on our purchase and. Since we're mostly wholesaling now, it's you know, yeah, not not necessarily the rehab after. Sure, okay. Um, but actually, to, to show the range, last last a week ago, we bought a house for one hundred sixty thousand in uh, Hamilton, which is just outside of Toronto. Okay, very six hundred thirty square foot house on a thirty five by forty foot lot, very small. Yeah. House. Wow. Um, and then at the same time, uh, Friday we closed on a house that we sold for one point three million in Toronto. That is range for sure. That's yeah. It's a huge range because it's um. In the smaller towns, you're looking at much lower price points, right? Yeah. And so a lot of um, <clears throat> buy and hold landlord investors are really active in that space. The flippers, um, you know, if we get a really great deal in the city, I mean, there's a huge potential margin there, right? So if, yeah. if we get it low enough, you know, uh, on the wholesaling side now, if we, you know, assign it to them lo- uh, low enough, the spread is really, really big. You just yeah. have to come up with a lot of cash. Yep. Absolutely. So Jess, what do you, what, what is your, I, I know right now you're, uh, I don't know if we, I didn't mention it yet or maybe we did, but you're about to give birth. You're going to have your, you guys going to have your first yes. child. Um, congratulations again, of course. Um, super excited for you guys. You guys are the best. Like, listen, like, there's been, there's so much like history. Like, listen, when you go to Africa with somebody <laughs> and you're on like safari and you're in a Jeep and you legitimately have a halfway decent chance of being mauled by lions like legitimately not hyperbole um <laughs> you get close and you become like family so it, i'm i'm just i could not be happier for you guys but that's a side note i, I love you guys but what is like once once you guys have the baby and you're kind of like kind of rocking and rolling in that world what do you what, what will you do in the business jess or will you be in the business at that point yeah, and that's a good question. Um, so it's something that we've sort of um, had to adapt as a couple over the years. So when we started off flipping, I'll, I'll start way back there. <clears throat> Luke obviously was taking on the lion's share of the work because you know I was still working a very demanding full-time job on Bay Street as a yeah. as a corporate lawyer. So evenings and weekends I was available to kind of advise and, and keep like keep the projects going. But it was really just Luke running the flips. And so as we kind of moved into like the wholesaling business and expanded our team, like we've got, you know, 17 people on our team now. So it's a much different business than a couple of years ago when we started out. Yeah. Really, we kind of had a discussion because <clears throat> working together as a couple is not the easiest thing always, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're two A-type personalities. We <laughs> both have our own opinions about how things should be done. And, yeah. you know, we don't always, we often agree, but we don't always agree on things, right? Sure. And so um, it's been a bit of um, a lesson learned sort of the last couple of years is how can we, how can we best work together? And our personalities are very, very similar. So our strengths are very similar, but so are our weaknesses. Yeah. Um, and so really for us, it's been figuring out, you know, how to manage our relationship on the personal front, but also on the business front and make sure those are kept pretty separate. And so what we've kind of come to decide is um, it's best if each one of us manages a separate arm of the business um, and takes, you know, ownership of that, and then the other, you know, party just kind of advises. Um, and so you have that kind of idea of bouncing board, but really it's kind of within your realm. So Luke really focuses on managing the wholesaling business day to day. And I think he'll continue doing that. I've sort of taken on our, um, our invest, the investment side of the business. So our personal portfolio, you know, we're, we're doing some buy and holds. Uh, we're doing like a duplex and triplex conversions. Um, so I think we've got currently about 18 properties, 28 doors. So I really focus on managing that side of things, you know, the long-term business and Luke manages the wholesaling and that kind of helps us to really separate things and not get in each other's hair too much. Yeah. That's a unique dynamic. It's a good dynamic though, because the, the, the important thing is you guys may not always agree and maybe you have arguments or small disagreements, but the fact that you guys are both 
all in on the business. It's so huge, right? But I'm curious, how do you guys or do you guys separate business and personal? In other words, at some point in the day, do you go, okay, we're shutting down the business talk. We're not going to talk about deals anymore. We're just going to talk about normal people stuff. Do you guys do that? Or is it just like, if you have a thought at 10 o'clock at night and you're sitting there, you're going to discuss business. Like, how, how do you guys have a hard line in the sand? Uh, no, there's no hard line. It might just be, you know, if, if one of us has had a long day, we're like, yeah, you know what, let's discuss this another time. Yeah. Um, you know, don't want to talk about this so later. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, if you discuss stuff at like 11 PM and then you can't sleep because yeah. you're thinking yeah. about all these things. So it's like, you know what, I, I don't, it's, it's a little too late right now, but yeah, I mean, if I might get a text from someone saying, Oh, we just got a deal and I'll look through photos with Jess at, you know, eight o'clock at night, we'll, we'll look through to see what we just got on your contract. Yeah. And, and that kind of stuff. Okay. Is that's the thing is we're so passionate about it that, you know, we end up kind of just giving in sometimes probably a little too much. I think with the, uh, <clears throat> yeah. with the baby, I think we'll have to be a little more careful. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah. uh, it's, the business is really important for us. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, all of us kind of know, like, I mean, this is our livelihood that like we've yeah. worked our butts off to get where we are today. And so you have to kind of keep that momentum going always. You can't just kind of say, okay, well, I'm going to take a break now because you're the one that's in charge, right? We're, yeah. we're managing people, we're managing businesses, we're managing, you know, clients, how, buyers, sellers, like totally. all of it. People kind of look up to us for, for decisions always, right? So it's one of those things where um, I think we are actively trying to step away from, you know, a lot of like the, the, the minutia and the day-to-day of the business because yeah. we do have a team in place now that I can handle a lot of that. But um, there's always that little bit of pressure like within yourself where you're like, hmm, maybe I should just look into this other thing or, you know, <laughs> yeah. let me just chat with uh, with my acquisitions rep on this one. So I think, you know, I have maybe there's a better way to to approach this deal or whatever it is, right? Yeah. So it's, um, it's just about managing ourselves a little bit. And that's kind of where we are now is managing what our expectations are and how, you know, we want to work with our team and where we draw that line because it's it's yeah. very hard to uh, to draw that line really hard in the sand to yeah. what we found at least. <laughs> it is. It's tough because you're both in it, right? Like if one of you was totally not in it, there might be a point where you go, enough like tonight we got to be done but i get that you're both entrepreneurial that way um i, I want to give people some idea because I, it would be a really disservice to not only the people listening but to you guys if we didn't talk a little bit about what's happened to your business over the last year or two right so when i met you guys almost two years ago in uh, i think you said october november of 18 right after flip hacking live um what did your business look like let's give me a snapshot of 2018 november 2018 what did your business look like at that point in terms of volume the size of your team what you were focused on and that kind of thing for sure um i squeezed into at the time at flip hacking live i uh I joined right into the eight-figure flipping level. Yeah. Now it's the seven-figure club. Yeah. yeah. Um, By the way, that's so, for people who are at seven figures trying to push to eight figures for the record, guys. So they were not yes. like inexperienced when they joined. Yeah. So um, we were lucky. We had in our business, we had an acquisition rep and an assistant. And that was it. We had done something 2018. We had done some big deals on some big flips. Yeah. And we were looking at maybe, you know, with those, maybe $800,000 in gross profits. We weren't fully at the million mark, okay. um, but we were on track and growing. Yeah. And we had figured out how to buy houses privately. We had figured out how to wholesale them and how to get good deals on properties. So the problem was I didn't know much about hiring people. We didn't know how to build a team. So we knew how to wholesale now, yeah. right? We didn't, we didn't join, uh, you know, a lot of people are starting off. They they need you know the video vault that you guys have to yeah. learn how to how to join, yep. how to how to start wholesaling, sure. how to start flipping, yep. how to do all of those things. We're not the best flippers, but we're good at buying houses, and yeah. we had figured that out. We didn't know how to build a team, yeah. and that's really what we joined for. Um, so when so, you were back then, before we go any further, what 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 was your volume in 2018 in terms of deal number of deals? I think it was something like 25. Okay, 25 deals, and you had two employees basically, two team people on your team. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, go ahead. So three of us, I guess. Three, yeah. Three of us at the time that we're in it full time. Yep. Um, and then I actually remember going to you in the, at the Keystone meeting, uh, Jess and I were at the Keystone meeting in Colorado yep. and uh, we went up to you and we said, Hey Mike, um, I've been meaning to, you know, make a training manual before hiring more people. Could you just send me all your training material? <laughs> and you're yep. like, we could, but ours is a little dated, you know, this other, uh, who's, uh, Becca, you know, yeah, yeah. would be maybe a better person to go to. And we went to her and she said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I can send it to you, but you know, you might not be the right person with your personality, with your, you know, 
if you look at your strengths, you might not be the right person to put this stuff together. Um, you should be hiring, you know, a sales manager. And so that, that's kind of the path we went. We had that assist. It was actually shortly after flip hacking live. I went to flip hacking live knowing that my assistant wasn't the right fit, let her go after coming back. But I, I knew before even going mm-hmm. hired another one and then still have the same acquisition uh, manager in Toronto since, um, for a little over two years now. So we hired a sales manager who had a lot of experience in hiring and training people mm-hmm. who's become my COO now. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's great. He's helped us a lot with a, with a lot of things and we started scaling and it was hiring lead managers because at the time the acquisition rep was also taking the lead calls yeah. and kind of not doing the greatest job of it because you're writing on McDonald's napkins in the car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? And yeah. everything's a mess and there's no, we weren't using a good CRM at all. We were using Excel documents um, to track leads and, so it was really, it was in April of 2019 that we really hired the sales manager and started hiring like crazy. Okay. And sales manager, lead intake, another lead intake. Um, sales manager was doing dispo, then we hired dispo. Um, brought my sister on um, full time. I have a sister who lives in Mexico with a marketing background, brought her in as our marketing manager. Uh, and so we really started scaling at that point. So we went from really, you know, three full-time employees to, uh, we had 17, we let someone go last week. So we're at 16 okay. full-time employees. Yeah. And that, that's a lot, that's a lot of growth. And what is like, how, how does your business compare to 2000 and, uh, end of 2018 to, and maybe what you project to be at the end of this year? Like wh- how different does those two businesses look? I'm still working a lot in the business, but we're very much at the stage where I'm getting out of it as we have our baby and uh, we're moving to Ottawa. Yeah. Um, we've, we're, in now three markets instead of one. So we're in Toronto, Ottawa, and Montreal. Montreal, we just expanded to a few weeks ago. It took us a long time to find the right rep in that market, in part because it's bilingual. Yeah. We really wanted a good French-speaking rep. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we went, you know, we were doing maybe two deals a month, and now we're doing, I mean, more than two deals a week. Yeah. <laughs> right? um, yeah. We're so, doing probably 12 to 15 a month right now, and with the Montreal rep on, it should go up from there. So your business has basically you're four times the the volume. You're in you're in two new markets, and all that's happened since April of 2019, approximately. You've yeah, you kind yeah. of that's where the hockey stick started. April, so that was like basically a year ago. In a year, your team has went from three to sixteen now, seventeen going you know just moved to sixteen. Three markets, and you've you four you four extra business basically you've we've got you got four times the amount of leads coming in like that's yeah. insane you guys you know that's insane right you know that's insane growth <laughs> and i've i've done I, my the growth like the hockey stick growth we had back in 2000 in my company back in 2000 like 16 17 um was nuts but it wasn't that nuts we didn't expand in markets and we we had a team that got up to i think 13 at its max which it's not about how many people are on your team i get that it's not that's not the competition but I just, um, my point being, I know what it means to hire a lot of people in a short amount of time and to grow the amount of deals you're doing. There's a lot of stress and a lot of work that goes into that and a lot of like just, you know, really, really, really hard strategizing and work. And uh, it's not easy. And the fact that you guys have 16 of the 17 people is pretty good because our churn was insane too. Like we were growing and we were churning people in and out because bad expectations like how how hard was it when you guys started hiring because hiring is is not easy there's there's a little bit of luck and there's certainly some some skill and technique to it but it's hard to like you guys are a locum you guys are a, like a train that's just flying down the track and you're trying to add people and get them up to speed so they can help keep the train on the track it's it's a lot like jumping off a cliff and trying to build your wings on the way down for everybody that you bring in what is how do you guys do that what what is it that you what do you look for when you're hiring somebody and what have you found to be some of the best practices when you're building that team because you did it fast yeah sure i think the big thing has been um really a push for our like when we're looking for an employee um you you never know when during the interview how they're going to perform on the job right so you can try to look for some personality traits and some experience levels um, and just seeing if they'd be a good fit for, for the, um, you know, the, the, the environment that you want to create in the business. But really, it's once they're on the job that you really have to really monitor and make sure that if you have the right person, you really, really put a lot into them. You pour a lot into them and, and help them really grow and take ownership of their role. Yeah. Um, and 
you know, if they're not reciprocating that, if they're not really taking that ownership, it's really that hard decision to kind of let them go. And we had, we had that decision, you know, last week where we had to let someone go just because they just weren't the right fit. Yeah. And we tried for a couple months and we said, you know what, like they weren't a terrible employee. It was more, um, you know, they didn't see the vision of the business and they would, you know, they'd be assigned a task from, from A to B and they would complete from A to mostly B. Um, well, but there wasn't the ownership that. wasn't there. And the ownership wasn't there to say, you know what? Yeah. Um, I can take this to see, why don't I bring this to you and see how we can work this out? It right. was like, okay, well, you want this product, you know, by tomorrow to this, to these specs. Okay. I can try to deliver that. Yeah. Um, and so it's really, we're trying to, and the great thing we, we, maybe we've been a little lucky too. Luck has a part in it too, that we've had really great employees that do take ownership. And so the new people we bring on just feed off of that. Right? Yeah. So our COO is, is, is amazing at taking ownership and, and, you know, really just driving the boat and motivating people um, and really has created an environment that people really want to work in and want to excel in. So we've yeah. had people that um, we've hired at, you know, kind of more entry level positions that have now moved up in the ranks to like our dispositions. Um, uh, the girl that has dispositions, she's fantastic. She's really moved up the ranks and had really sees herself growing with the company and wants to really kind of invest herself to, because she sees it as, as, you know, it's our, it's our family business, but you know, we've kind of created this new family yeah. that, you know, we're all kind of in it together. And because of our incentive structures too, it's, you know, the, the better I do, the better the team does and the more compensation I get. And if you're motivated by compensation, that just, it goes full, full circle. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's exactly managing, you know, we look at the personality profiles, um, more, more so on like higher level hires, let's say the personality profiles, not mm -hmm. on everyone necessarily, but it's also managing the pro personality profiles, mixing it in with motivator, with their motivators. Yeah. We've learned the hard lesson person we had before for dispositions. I would say she had the right personality profile for it. Um, but I don't know that she was a little, I don't know that money motivated her enough. Yeah. She did well in her role, but you know, she joined us after a six month yoga retreat. Ah. Um, which kind of tells you a few things, yeah. but the personality trait was there and she did, she did a good job. I'm not, not going to fault her yeah. uh, at all, but, um, by the end of it, she just, you know, emotionally the house has affected her too much, how bad the shape they were, how the seller, the things the sellers were going through yeah. that, that affected her emotionally. And the money wasn't enough to make up for it. Yeah. And then it's also understanding that is that how you manage people because our, we never lost them a sales manager. We've never fired one or had them quit or sorry, an acquisition, yeah. an acquisition person. Right. We've never had one leave and we've never fired one. Um, wow. We just hired our third. And uh, the first one is very different from the second one we hired. Our Toronto rep is very different from our Ottawa rep. Our Ottawa rep is, you know, young mother of th mother of two. Um, she has a young child at home, a two year old at home. Uh, she's been with us a little over a year now. She's uh, this sweet, sensitive. She cares so much about the sellers yeah. and that carries through. And it's funny. She actually will buy different houses to a certain extent. Really? Our acquisition rep in Toronto buys uglier, worse houses. And our acquisition rep in Ottawa buys generally a little bit nicer houses. Um, and our acquisition rep in Toronto will do everything he can to not leave an appointment without that contract signed. Whereas the one in Ottawa has a much higher chance of them coming back to her um, because of how much she clearly cares. Yeah. Because of that. Yeah. Personality. So they, yeah, exactly. The personality will carry through, but it's also, it's also the conversation we have with them. You know, when we're talking to our, our Toronto rep, it's very much like, you know, let's see if we can get them down on price. You know, we <laughs> yeah. let, let's, let's, you know, squeeze a little more out of this kind of thing. Yeah. Our, our rep in Ottawa, it's, it's a different conversation. It's a, you know, if we don't get the right price, we're going to have to let this go. We may not be able to sell this. And then if we're going to let it go, that's not going to be good for them if they're making plans around it having being sold. Yeah. So her motivators are like, I don't, sometimes she doesn't care what we sold the property for on the dispo. She's just happy that it's sold and that we were able to help that seller. Yeah. Even though she is very motivated, she is, you know, young family. Her husband yeah. had a, had a stroke last year. So, you know, he's off on, on long-term disability. So, yeah. um, it was, she is very motivated by money. And that is able to make up because she does form emotional connections. You know, she's had sellers cry in her arms and, and, and all that. Whereas yeah. Ron Rep is a little bit more down to business or he'll talk sports or something like you'll build different kind of bonds with people. Yeah. So yeah, just two different kind of people. And we're careful around the words we use. Same thing on the lead managers. We'll never say like, oh, let's see if we can squeeze them down. Lead managers, they're not, they're not salespeople for us. Yeah. 
They're just supposed to make the sellers comfortable. And I want them to understand that we help people. And that's the language we use around them because otherwise they'll have other people calling yelling that they're aware of scam. You know, like if they got a piece of direct mail, you trespassed on my property because they think we delivered it to their door, <laughs> that kind of thing. And yeah. they have to put up with that. I want them to understand. Here's the stories about how this family, they didn't have running water in their house for five years. They had a bathtub full of urine. And now that we bought their house, they've moved into a rental. The landlord's going to have to take care of it because they should never have been homeowners. Yeah. Their kids have their own bedrooms. One of the kids was sleeping on a mattress pad on a pile of garbage. And now their kids have their own bedrooms, their own beds. They have running water. Their life has just gotten better a hundred times over yeah. because we were able to buy their house and give them what they needed. Yeah, that's awesome. And you guys hit on something pretty important. You know, you have. It seems like you've built this team, and I I think there's a lot of like skill and diligence and just in, intuition and things that go into hiring, but there is a certain amount of luck. And you guys seem to have built a team now where there's like this positive peer pressure, this ownership that you talked about, the caring about the company. It's if you can get enough of those kind of people on your team, it will sort of make anyone who doesn't have that outlook or that that work ethic or that whatever uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to be different than the group. And if the group is a bad group, then it's uncomfortable to be a good person in a bad group sometimes, right? But it's also Absolutely. uncomfortable to be a bad employee in a group of good employees. So that's huge. And that's a that's momentum that will absolutely flush out the wrong people almost on its own. You know, it'll be very obvious. It'll be a light that'll be shown on them. But but you're right. It, that's awesome. Uh, the fact that you have the the uh, the rep who has that extra amount of like empathy and is really caring, that stuff comes through. You know, we tell people all the time like you, you really need to care about the problems of the people that you're talking to, these homeowners, and you can't just care because it's going to get you to that money that you want. You have to like actually care, and and just pretending to care is very transparent. People can feel that, right? But like you said. They come back to her. Even if she doesn't get the contract, they come back to her because they feel like she cared. And my guess is they come back to her even if they have other offers that are as solid or maybe even more solid because better feeling from her. I feel like she really cared and she listened to us. So that's awesome. You guys are obviously doing a great job of building this team and training your people. Uh, I know I've, I've met your sales manager, sharp guy, very aggressive. I'm just curious, more of a fun question, but out of you two, who do you guys have the same level of risk tolerance? Is it kind of equal or does if one of you have this crazy risk tolerance and the other one not as much? Uh, well, it's, it's kind of funny because um, we probably have the same level of risk tolerance, but we look at different things. So um, like on my end, I'll see a property and I'll say, wow, I have, I see so much potential in it. I think we should keep it. We can do X, Y, Z, you know, ABC yeah. with it. Yeah. And Luke says, no, we should just wholesale it. And <laughs> so that's kind of a bit of our dynamic where yeah. I'm like, you know, I want to do one thing with it. He wants to do something else with it. But I think in general, perhaps Ooh. Luke has a little bit more risk tolerance, but I think, um, I think our personality profiles, what is our, what are they called? Our yeah, you're a Trish, just on yeah. culture and deck, just as a trailblazer. Okay. And I am, oh shoot, I forgot. Yeah. But we're both, uh, yeah. we're both in the same category. It's very okay. close. So, just the bee's different. Yeah. yeah. I'm a little friendlier, I think on the bee, but that's, uh, okay. <laughs> That's, uh, that's the, the real difference. Okay. Yeah. That, so when you guys have that discussion, just out of curiosity, you like, Jess, you're like, no, I want to keep this thing. I think it'd be great. We can do all these things to it. And uh, Luke, you're like, nope, we're, let's wholesale this thing. Who, how do you, how do you, how do you solve those? How do you, how, how do you break that tie or how do you break that, you know, that decision making? Well, a lot of times uh, we bought a lot of rentals because Jess insists. So, <laughs> um, but we're, we're reaching the point where we've committed too much capital and we need to finish off so we, we recently had the discussion, we need to finish off more of our renovations, get more refinances out before we commit to buying anything else. So okay. actually that happened on the last one, we got a lead that was you know 300 meters, four minute walk from our, another property we had, or we got one under contract. And instead of wholesaling that one, we were we just bought committed to another property. We were, I was saying, you know, we're done like money wise, we can't, because we've got long-term debt in the business, we've borrowed some out of that business to buy rentals and mm -hmm. we, do, we can't, cannibalize one business to buy the rentals, right? Sure. So we're, it's, it's a balancing act. Okay. Um, and so we, that discussion was, well, let's see if we can find a joint venture partner. They put up all of the capital, they get the mortgage and they'll refinance it after renovations done. We've brought the property. Um, we charge a small assignment fee to call, small, call, to pay commissions. So we're not cannibalizing the business. Yep. And it's still a good deal to the kind of joint venture. So now we will own half of this property that's a few minutes walk away instead of yeah. owning all of it. We still have to manage the whole conversion. We're getting permits right now, all of that. But yeah. uh, 
that was that was a compromise. Um, but since we're not actively looking for joint venture partners, and it's really about finding the right person that's not going to be too in our face all yeah. the time, like, oh, I, I want a daily update and all of this, because that's yeah. not who we are. We're going to do, do the property right, but we're not going to give you daily updates on it. Yeah, exactly. Um, that, and otherwise, we've just decided, unless we're buying something with a partner, we're not putting in more money in until we've uh, refinanced and gotten some capital out of other properties. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Your decision-making on this is in, in, incredibly logical and intelligent, so that's not a really surprise <laughs> at all. Um, but it's funny. You guys, the way you're looking for this joint venture person who brings in the money and then they don't have, it's exactly how I bought all my rentals. I, I brought in a partner who all the money, they don't. He doesn't hassle me. He trusts me. Um, I find I get the renovate. I find the house, renovate it, get the renters in, and we split the profits. It's it's a beautiful way to do it. It's not the only way to do it, but it's a good way to do it, especially if you're trying to not put your own capital into it. One one question I have for you guys is you sort of mentioned at some point during the discussion that you you went from being house flippers to wholesalers mostly. Why yeah. why 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 make that switch? I think we're way better wholesalers. Is the short answer? Okay. Um, so <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> Um, it's funny because the transition was a little bit of a, of an interesting transition because, you know, we started the business as a flipping business. I mean, that's, that's, that's what it was. That's what it was always meant to be. Um, we never thought about wholesaling at the beginning at all. It was more, you know, we're going to flip because that's what, that's the plan. Yeah. Why would we not, you know, continue yeah. with that? And wholesaling is not a thing in Canada. You can't do it here. Yeah. yeah and there are very few wholesalers. I mean, we're, I mean, from, from what we know, we're the, by far the biggest wholesalers um, in the country at this point. But it's uh, you have a couple smaller players, but it's really not a big thing. Like people, yeah. the general population is very used to selling on the MLS, and there's that like that mental kind of block of yeah, are you just going to come to my house with like cash and and you know that yeah. kind of thing? Yeah. So so wholesaling has, has not really taken root in the same way that yet that it has in the U.S. Yeah. So we started off flipping. So we did a couple flips, and at some point, you know, this was. Uh, when I was, you know, still working at the law firm, very busy, Luke was really managing all of the projects. We didn't have a project manager. So, um, you know, we had the acquisitions rep and an assistant that no, helped. we didn't even have the acquisition rep. But we, Actually, it was just It was me. just before. It was, 20, it was yeah. no assistant, no acquisition rep. It was rep, yeah, right before. Seven renos going on at the same time that yeah. I was managing. Wow. Yeah. So Luke was PM. You're right. At this time, we had we were just thinking of hiring because of this. So we had seven projects on the go. Um, because I think, you know, Luke fails to remember that he also likes buying houses and, you know, <laughs> doing work to them. Yeah. So, um, so we had the, the, the seven properties and we got another lead for a flip. Okay. And I remember this discussion very clearly. Luke came home and he's like, look, I have this lead. Um, but I'm so overwhelmed running seven projects all in different, like, you know, locations, yeah. all different crews. And, you know, it's, uh, it's really kind of, it's a, it's a law for one person to manage. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, I, you know, I don't know if I should even take the call and, and go on this appointment and meet with this person. You know, I don't know what to do with it. It's a great lead, but I'm, I'm absolutely like, you know, in over my head with all this stuff. Yeah. And he's like, what should I do? Um, and I said, well, obviously you should go on the appointment. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we'll figure that out later. Right. Yeah, like yeah. The, the whole thing is let's get the property and then we'll, you know, we'll figure the rest out afterwards. Right. We've yep. always figured it out. I mean, we're entrepreneurs. We'll, we'll do something with it. Yeah. Um, so totally. Luke, why not? He went on the appointment, got the property under contract, came home and was like happy, but also a little upset being like, hey, I got this. I, got this I can't stop buying houses. What do I do? And, yeah. and the wild thing was um, yeah. I had realized I had stopped my Google ads at that time because I was too busy. Okay. And somehow this was, so I was like, well, I got this lead recently. This must have been one of my first like organic leads. Yeah. My website must be ranking now. So I start searching search terms and I see my website come up and I saw another one that I hadn't recognized from someone else. So this was 10 p.m. on a Friday. I think Jess was out and I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm, you know, Jess and I weren't together. I was working. So um, I called this number at 10 p.m. and the guy answers. And this was the day I got it. I got it on a Friday. I come home at night. And Jess was either at a work event or, or out with friends. And I called this guy and, uh, you know, I start chatting. Oh, what do you do? I, oh, I just got this property in Mississauga. Um, okay. Um, I, I buy it over there. And so we start chatting by the next week. I've sent him pictures and uh, he's seen the property. I sold it to him for a $70,000 wholesale fee. Wow. Our first wholesale. Ever. <laughs> I think that's officially my biggest wholesale ever is $70,000 different market, different price points, but still that's a, that's a pretty sweet first wholesale deal. And yeah. then that must've been like, Oh, I like this. This was easier than, than all and the running around. It was still a slow transition. It was kind of at that point we started wholesaling a bit, but still flipping. Okay. And it was a gradual transition towards 
this is too much of a pain. We're not good at flipping. Let's just concentrate on buying houses. Yeah. So it was really um, a transition to wholesaling out of need. Um, because Luke went and got this property under contract and we had definitely said, you know, no more flips for sure. Yeah. But we we're like, you know what? We can't give up a good deal. Like we're going to have to go get it and, yeah. and then figure out what to do with it after. And yeah. I guess through this assignment, you know, I think Luke was telling this, this guy um, who, you know, is another investor now we're, you know, friends with, you know, happened organically telling him, look, like, I, I don't know what to do with this, but it's a great deal. Um, so that was kind of a, an assignment out of necessity. And we kind of became wholesalers out of necessity in that, in that specific point in our, in our, in our flipping career. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it took us some time to realize how right it was for us, but I remember the conversation with him. Well, in the end, it, Took him, I don't know, nine months to flip, but he made one hundred and eleven thousand in the end from wow. his numbers that he pulled. Wow, that's a that is a really good deal. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, but I know that I would not have made another hundred and eleven thousand. We wouldn't have made that at all. Yeah. He didn't use private money. He had a line of credit on his primary residence, oh. so his cost for financing was minimal. There were no fees. Yeah. He just pulled it out. Probably paid three, three, four percent sure. during the time he used it. Him and his father helped manage the renovation. They were on site. His father was scraping stucco off the ceiling and all of that. And, you know, so very keeping renovation costs yeah. because he was able, they were on site often. Yeah. They were using lower cost kind of laborers, less skilled, but directing them and managing them to keep the costs down. Yeah. And then um, he's also a real estate agent. So he listed the house himself. So he saved on the real estate. Yeah. Agent it's like a perfect storm of savings that he had. Exactly. So I would not have made another 111,000 doing all of this work. He was able to, so that's when I realized, wait a minute, not, not many flippers are using private money here. They're usually doing a couple deals a year and they're using, you know, cash or family, friends, money or or traditional mortgages. Yeah. They're saving all of that money so they can just give me that money. Yeah, exactly. If I can bring them a deal that would have otherwise worked for me with me with private money. Yeah. Um, So I'm buying better deals than these people need to. And they're able to pay the difference. And that's when we kind of, yeah, started realizing it and a few more pains with, and actually I think that was around the point. So some of those deals that we were working on at that time went wrong. We had a, a bit of a downturn in our market, different areas, but one area went down almost 40% year over year okay. um, because it had gone up almost 40% year over year. And then the government changed a bunch of rules and the market got stagnant. This was one property in Whitby. Um, the market went down a lot in that area in 2017. So I bought it. The government announced these rules in April of 2017. I bought it in the summer of 2017 thinking I was smarter than everyone and the market wasn't going to keep going down and, and all of that. And, uh, I wasn't, it kept falling. So I thought I was getting a good deal. Market kept falling. And then I didn't turn it around fast enough because I had contractor under quote, they did a bit of work and then they just disappeared on me. I yeah. promising to come back and never did months dragged on. I was hoping to sell this property by the end of the summer. Uh, it had a pool. I was driving out to this property, scooping out leaves to try to keep the pool going, chlorinating it, all of this. Oh no. Um, by the time we sold it, we had to close the pool cause it was November. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, and then it only closed, I think the following March, it was a very long closing. So between the private money costs, the market having fallen, all of that, we ended up losing $90,000 on that wow. house. And I know I was, that was a hard time for me. I was kind of, I pulled back a lot from, I didn't want to, you know, you were talking about risk tolerance. I think I was afraid of taking risk uh, down, down on myself for sure. Yeah. Uh, and it took me a while to get over that, get through that. Um, as I started selling more properties and getting yeah. some success again. Um, yeah. Yeah. You, I, I kind of went into wholesaling the exact same way. I, I wasn't planning on doing it. I just had some really bad snafus with some deals that I was working on my contractor, my realtor, who I I relied on exclusively at the time to help me find deals and to give me the ARVs. Like, both of them sort of screwed over the project really badly. And I was sort of stuck without a realtor and without a, a contracting crew. Cause I use the same crew for all my deals cause they were close enough. But I was like, I, I don't have, I don't have the means to do another flip at this time. Like, what do I do? But at the time, everyone in my market was complaining. They couldn't find deals. So I'm like, I know some really good house flippers that are, they just complained to me last week. They can't find anything. I'm going to call one of them. And it was super informal. It's like, Hey, I got this deal. Do you want it? And gave him a price and they bought it. And it's like, yeah, I did the same thing. It was sort of like out of necessity, but once I did it and made the money and I avoided some of the things that were frustrating for me, um, I was like, this is, and I'm impatient. So man, like waiting for like renovations to get done and things like drove me berserk. (laughs) Like I hated the, the, 
you know, now we have this, you know, Tyler Jensen in our group who's making it look like you can do it in seven days, which you can, but I wasn't able to do that. My renovations took two months to do a, a standard renovation. So it would drive me berserk. And then I did a wholesale, like I got under contract, I sold the contract and like three weeks later I had the money. Like what? This is awesome. I love this model. So it fit my personality. Like you talked about a little earlier, knowing your personality, it fit my personality, you know, and there was things that are out of my control as a flipper that you have to accept. I just, I had a hard time swallowing it like appraisers. Like I, I just, it just drove me nuts. I could prove what the house should be worth. And then you have appraiser come through and it's 10,000 less. And I feel like you just took $10,000 out of my pocket and you're wrong, but I can't really fight it effectively. We because, never really had the appraisal problem. Oh, we did. And I, but, but in all fairness, I was flipping mostly between 2008 and 2014. So banks were still and appraisers were still, I think, a little scared of everything that happened in 2008 here in the States. So I think that affected it. But in any event, you guys made that switch. You're rocking. Your business has just exploded. You're hiring like crazy. It sounds like you have a really, really good team. You're about to start your your family, have a baby. Like It sounds like it's all going great for you guys. What 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 do you want to do next? Like, what is the next frontier? Is it just continued growth? Is there an actual like specific goal or or more markets? Like, what what are you guys thinking? And I know it's a lot. You're doing a lot. So, but like next year, like, do you have any idea, or is it just at the end of the year we evaluate, we figure it out? So in this specific business, um, the goal is that I will be putting in a lot less hours. So will Jess. Um, we'll both be working from home when we have the baby. I'll be putting in a lot less hours, kind of more of an advising role. Okay. We will still keep expanding, maybe not at the same rate. Uh, the goal is to get into two new markets. So sorry, one more market okay. and add one more rep in, in our existing main market. So we'll be at a total of five acquisition reps, uh, which may mean a little bit of an increase in, you know, lead managers and one more person on the dispo side. Sure. Um, and that is kind of where we want to end up right now. That's kind of the final form. Yeah. Yep. Um, if we get all the way there yeah. uh, on the other side, you know, when we're spending less time in this business, we plan on being a little more active in managing the renovations on these, uh, uh rentals, uh, getting those conversions done, yep. um, also be starting to look for more opportunities on the rental side, maybe a few multifamily properties. Okay. Um, and personally I've been wanting to do some, um, renovations in my own, my own projects, um, that I haven't. Right now, I hate doing renovations because I always have a million other things to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we're allowed to build a coach house on our new house in Ottawa, which is a little, it's, a, it's like a guest house you're allowed to build in your backyard. Okay. And um, I actually, I'm hoping to take that on myself and build it nice. myself. Nice. So, yeah. Well, listen, you guys have given me a lot of time today. I really appreciate it. It is the weekend as we record this. And I know you have a lot going on. You're busy guys and, and you have a baby coming and just a million things I'm sure you're doing. So thank you for doing this. You guys have a super incredible, impressive business. You've had a very impressive road to this point. I know you guys are going to reach your goals. There's no doubt about it. And it's just fun watching all of this unfold. And it's definitely fun being friends of yours and getting to see you every couple of months and things like that. So um, continued success. Thanks for doing this. If somebody wants to reach out, uh, if they want to get involved in your projects or they just, you know, they like, these guys are great. Like, how do I, how do I get involved or in any way, shape or form, how could or should they reach out to you? Uh, so we're on social media generally. Um, Instagram and Facebook, you can find us at Just Luke Invest. Okay. A E S S L U C, because um, Luke is French. <laughs> yeah. Just Luke Invest. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel we're just kind of starting up. Um, really? So we're posting some some uh, some content there, uh, and we're also on LinkedIn, but in a smaller capacity. What's so your YouTube channel? Just Luke Invest. Oh, Just Luke Invest. Got it. Okay. Just Luke Invest. Cool. We'll yeah. put links to those so people can find you there too. But. Awesome. Guys, thanks for doing this again. I appreciate it. Have a awesome rest of your weekend. And I know that baby's coming really, really soon. So we'll be thinking about you and get, bringing good thoughts and prayers for you. So uh, we'll hear about it, I'm sure, once once the day happens. So I can't wait. Thanks, Absolutely. Mike. Yeah. And thanks so much for having us, Mike. It's always nice to, to chat about business and life in general with you. Absolutely. So. Couldn't agree more, guys. Thank you very much. And we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys, I had a lot of fun interviewing those two. If you can't tell, uh, I think it was pretty obvious during the interview. I said it once even. These guys are really good friends. They're awesome, awesome folks. Uh, I love being able to see them every few months. They're having a baby, so it might be a few extra months before I see them. But it's just fun to hang out with them and talk about business and life. They, they have a really good perspective, and they're good people. And I just like watching this growth that they're having and, and learning from them and just understanding what they're doing to make all that happen. And I'm, I was happy to bring them on and 
and share that with you guys because it's always good to hear people from all walks of life, United States, Canada, wherever, like they've overcome obstacles in their country of things that we take for granted, like just pulling lists and mailing to people, right? It's not that easy, but it can all be done if you want to do it. And believe me, they, they did it and you can do it. You just have to get out there and start. So that's the message, guys. As always, get out there and just start. Make today awesome. Make today the first day that you actually get started in your journey and your goals of being a real estate investor, being an entrepreneur, whatever that is, whatever your goals are, today's the day. Get out there and just start. All right, we'll talk to you next time. Okay, you're still there. You're still listening. That's awesome. And I really appreciate that. Now, hopefully it wasn't an accident. Hopefully you didn't leave the room and I'm just talking to an empty room right now. But assuming you're still there, I want to do something really, really cool for you. For a limited time, I want to give you a free digital download of my book, the entire book, level jumping. If you're a listener to the show, you know it just came out and it really details how I took my business from being like one where I was just doing a few deals a month, maybe one or two deals a month to doing over 10 and sometimes 15 deals a month and over a hundred a year. And I went from doing very little profit to over a million dollars in profit. And I made that transformation in a 12 month period. And this book talks about what I did, the steps I took to transform my business and how you can too. So grab a free digital download and you can get that by texting the words, just start as two words. Now just start to the number five, five, four, four, Four. So text just start to 55444. I will send you a free digital download of my book. It's the complete book. There's nothing held back. And that'll be completely yours just for making it to the end of the show and listening to me. And I really, really appreciate it, guys. So I want to do something nice for you. I do this every once in a while at the end of shows. And if you listen to the very end, every once in a while, I do a giveaway like this. So hopefully you enjoy that. Go grab a free copy. I hope you read it. I hope you love it. Reach out. Let me know what you think. All right, guys. Talk to you next time.